You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we would pray that we would know ourselves so well in you that we might not care so much about what the world thinks, but that we would seek only your approval, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, that you would indeed make us lions for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We find ourselves this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is giving this teaching, and he's uh, no real new Moses. He's, uh, he's not doing anything new either. Here we hear this morning that he says that uh, I've not come to abolish the law. Uh, in fact, if anybody uh, teaches anything contrary to the law, uh, then, uh, th- then they are, uh, will, be call- uh, will be called least uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And the law that he's speaking about is the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And so in the law of the Old Testament, you have the moral law, you have the ceremonial law, and you have the judicial law. And we would see later on in the New Testament that Jesus is a fulfillment of all of these things. So especially in terms of uh, the ceremonial law. Jesus hasn't come to do away with that, but he has come to sort of put his seal on it and say, you remember that Passover lamb? that was sacrificed in remembrance, and you, you put the blood on, on the, the, door, the doorway, and the angel of death passed over, and you, uh, you celebrate that every year. Do you now know that the very Passover land that was sacrificed is standing before you? Uh, or on that day of, the whole, when, uh, of atonement when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He said, do you not know that, that I'm providing the blood now? And so it's not that those things are necessarily abolished as they are now fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And certainly the judicial law is to the people of Israel in a certain time and in a certain place. And so this is a great conversation for you to have with me or somebody else who you'd like to have a conversation with about this as to why God says to do certain things in the Old Testament that seem really hard for us to hear today. Especially when the Israelites come into Canaan and God says you have to wipe them out. Right? Those are questions worth asking, and you should never shy away from those. And if I had time, I'd talk about that. But there actually is a biblical understanding as to why God said and did those things uh, and why uh, those were for the people of Israel in that time and place. And then finally, you have uh, the moral law, which Jesus says is still in effect. And he said, all of that, he said, if anyone is beginning to teach against that, then they are going to be made least in the kingdom of heaven. So he begins to talk about what does it look like followers of Jesus to live in the world today? Is Christianity just Judaism for Gentiles? Or is it something deeper and more significant? Well, that's what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is actually something that is life-transforming and life-empowering. He uses the uh, image of salt and light. Look, salt is salt. Light is light. So, for instance, you know, if um, you may have run into this, there was a girl that I went to college with, and she made these cookies, and she said, you know, I, there's something not quite right about them, but I wonder what you think. And she was really cute, so I wanted to lie to her. Uh, but when I tasted it, it was very clear what she had done. She had put salt instead of sugar in the cookies. 
And when I bit into it, there was no mistaking what had happened. Right? There's no mistaking salt. Salt can only be salt. It, it couldn't be willed into, you know, Lord, take this salt and make it into sugar. I guess he could. Uh, but it was obvious what happened. In the same way, light, light shines where it shines. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, when you, when you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light, everything becomes known. The, the light can't restrict itself unless somebody puts a, bu- a bushel basket over it. And Jesus is saying here that you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're putting your trust in him, you are salt and light whether you like it or not. Uh, th- there really is not this sense of like, you've got to try, really try to be salt and you've really got to try to be light. The really, the only response that you can have is to basically put the bushel basket over yourself and say, I'm going to confine my witness within the life of the bushel basket. And I think as I read this, what I think of is children in the front row who are being really distracting and not being salt and light in this service. Um, they're mine, so I can say that. Uh, but I think, what does my witness look like in the world? How am I salt and how am I light? And I feel acutely the bushel basket that I tend to put over myself, especially in those awkward conversations where you think, I know I should say this, or I know I should say, you know, you just said this and that's not right. And I'm not even talking about heretical theological conversations. I'm talking about everyday conversation, Uh, whether somebody says something disparaging about somebody else or gossip uh, or, or just, uh, and it, you know, and Christians do this all the time in the way that we sanctify gossip and we say, you know, you really need to be praying for Bill. Right? And then we, we fill in the blank. And, and, of course, the effort is not to pray for Bill, but, but simply to gossip. But those situations in which you're like, you know, I, I'm not being the salt and light that not only I've called to be, but that God has made me. I'm not salting this conversation. I'm not letting light shine in on this darkness. And a lot of it has to do with I'm really afraid of what people will think. I'm afraid of of what the response will be. But for Christians, we have to be open to the fact that our faith will be offensive. And so Christians actually ought to be willing to offend, but not trying to offend. I have a friend who, uh, who would often talk about, you know, I'm trying to be a good Christian witness, but everybody's persecuting me and, and everybody's trying to shut me down. And, and it became very clear that actually he was just being a jerk. <laughs> it, it wasn't he wasn't being a faithful witness, he was just getting, he was doing it in such a way that was not shedding light or adding salt uh, to the conversation. Uh, He was just, uh, cared more about making the point uh, than he did about honoring the Lord and actually possibly bringing somebody into God's fold. But when we do live in the world as Christians, we should expect that the world is going to disagree with us. And that's very hard in the world in which we live in. Because for a very long time in America, especially in Birmingham and even still today, the culture has generally agreed with what Christianity has taught. And that's no longer the case. And so you really kind of have two options, and you see this at play right now even here in Birmingham. You have people that say, well, 
I guess I'm going to go along with the culture. Or you have people that say, I know that the culture has changed, and that means that we need to be much more careful about our witness. We need to be much more sensitive. Uh, We need to be much more intentional. We need to be much more personal. But I'm going to go with what God has said uh, in his word and be faithful to it. And so there's a sense in which we need to get to a point as Christians that we realize that the world is not going to agree with us, and that's okay. How many of us would love to be at a place in our Christian walk where we stopped caring about what the world thought? Wouldn't that be freedom? And and I'm actually not talking about some of the issues that y'all are thinking about uh, in your minds right now. Uh, I'm thinking about something uh, much deeper, because what we realize that when we see people who disagree with us uh, or maybe even people who are bringing darkness into the world or trying to counteract the salt, that if it weren't for an intervention from God, we would be them. So this is not a high-handedness. It's an understanding that we are who we are. We've been made salt and light because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his intervention in our lives. Because if we want to... deal with the issues that are manifesting themselves. We can't deal with the symptoms. We have to go to the root and heart of the matter. What's required in our world and what's required for us to be salt and light is a heart change. And so we look at the world around us and absolutely we see systems that perpetuate things like racism and they need to be criticized and they need to be dismantled. But if you want to see an end to racism... It begins with the heart of the individual. That's where racism comes from. And so these things that we're up against, we realize that it begins with the human heart. Uh, I have a friend who pastors in Washington, D.C., named Tom Terrence. And back in 1967, Tom uh, was uh, in his 20s living in Mississippi, and he was, uh, oh, well, I'll just read. This is from the Washington Post in 1993. In summer 1967, J. Edgar Hoover ordered FBI agents to Mississippi in an all-out search for a Ku Klux Klan member of the notorious White Knights, who had begun bombing several Jewish synagogues. Almost a year later, the hunt ended after a car chase and shootout that left one woman dead, an FBI agent seriously wounded, and the bomber lying in his own blood after receiving four shotgun blasts at close range. Few thought that Tom Terrence, who was caught carrying a bomb to a Jewish businessman and civil rights leader's house, would live. But the man an FBI agent once called a mad dog killer not only lived, but has been transformed. After being sent to prison, the Washington Post article continues with Tom saying, the light came on while he was in prison. I found myself knowing I needed the grace of God and the forgiveness of my sins. For the first time, what Jesus did on the cross became really precious and personally important to me. I'm far more radical now than I ever was a KKK member. My radicalism is a reckless abandonment to Jesus Christ, obedience to him, and a lifestyle of love for everyone, no matter what their color. You see what happened with Tom? I mean, talk about having to be brought low. Uh, But it wasn't because Tom came to somebody and said, you know, you 
you know, this racism, you should know better than that. In fact, when he was in the prison cell, he went after everything he possibly could to reinforce his racism until he finally got to the Bible and was confronted face-to-face with the reality of his own dark, broken heart. And he, came, he understood, you know, the first rule about holes, if you're in one, stop digging. And he cried out for help. And he realized, I'm not the man I'm supposed to be. But by God's grace, I can be the man that he's called me to be. And so if you want to see your life be salt and light in the world around us, it's really good for you to say, you know what, today I'm going to just try to be nicer to people in 280. That would be awesome. John Turner, who was the rector here uh, for decades, a lovely man, Uncle John, used to enclose, include in some of his correspondence a little business card, and on it it read, please drive carefully. You might hurt an Episcopalian. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. We should be kind. We should be generous. We should be... But it has, if it's going to be sustained, if it's going to be real, it has to start with our hearts changing by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and us admitting, I'm racist. I'm biased. I'm angry on 280. I don't want to be kind. I'm only going to be kind to the people that are kind to me. No, it's, it's saying and admitting all of those things and saying, God, I need you to take over my heart. Not just scrub up those areas of my heart that have gone far from you or those areas of, your, of my, but actually I need a heart transplant. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew in me a right spirit. Because I can actually make the world think that I've got my life together and I'm just the nicest person. And that's how we use the, like he's just the nicest Christian man I've ever met. And what do we mean by that? It means... They're a really nice person. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a change from the inside out because the heart is not changed from the outside in. If you think, well, if I just develop these habits, then I, my heart will change. As someone once told me that, they said, you know, if you do something for 21 days in a row, it will become a habit. And I've only found that to be true of bad habits. It doesn't come from conforming your life and then hoping your heart comes along. It comes from the change of heart that Jesus Christ only can do. And then out of that comes the change in your own life. Jesus said, you know what? If you've got it going on outwardly, you're a whitewashed sepulcher. Outside, you're beautiful, you're pristine. But inside, you're rot and you're bone. Now, I already used the illustration of Tom Terrence, but I would be remiss as I see Sis Levin And she and Jerry's daughter on the front row to say uh, something about Jerry, dear brother in the Lord who is now gone and beholds the Lord face to face. Many of you know his story. He was the CNN bureau chief uh, in Beirut and was captured by terrorists and held in captivity. And Sis worked tirelessly uh, to get that man released. And here was a man uh, who grew up Jewish, who was in the news business, and he met Jesus Christ in a terrorist jail cell in Lebanon. And his life was changed. And when he got out, because the Lord had met him there, he and sis gave their lives over to working for peace in the Middle East and around the world. 
It wasn't an issue if he got out and said, you know, I've been thinking about it and it would probably be a good idea to work for peace. But no, because I've been changed from the inside out. Now my life will be a demonstration of the peace that only God can give through a changed heart. And so my prayer for myself, for you this morning, is that God would make us lions for him. That we would dwell in this world and we care more about what God thinks, our great heavenly father, than what the world thinks. And that we would be about seeing our own hearts transformed and changed. And then we will see this world around us transformed as his light shines like a beacon on the hill. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the witness of brothers and sisters like Tom Terrence and Jerry Levin. And so many whose shoulders we stand upon. And Lord, we do pray that you would make us lions for you, that you would affect a heart change in our own lives, that we might be salt and light in this world for your glory, Jesus, but also for our good. In his name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.